No matter in life what you try to do, you're dead too. Hello, and welcome to You're Dead Too, the podcast about our shared inevitable demise. I am your host, John Toyson, and this week on the program, continuing our summer break series, I got nobody. So today I wanted to talk a bit about one of my <laughs> underappreciated movies that I think really deserves a little more love in the world, Night of the Living Dead, the original 1968 black and white warts and all version. So I'll talk a bit about that in a few minutes. But first I wanted to say thank you to anybody for listening. I always appreciate the fact that anybody would take time out of the day to listen to this, especially when most of the world is having their summertime right now. And well, by most, I mean half, and then, you know, Southern Hemisphere, we'll talk to you guys in the winter about that, but uh, thank you for listening, is what I want to say. If you've got any questions, comment, feedback, please send me some info at yourdead2 at gmail.com, or find me at Twitter or Instagram at yourdead2. I'm also available for reviews on the iTunes store. Please rank, review, rate, let me know what you think, because if I'm working in a vacuum, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. If I don't get any feedback, I'm never going to know how to improve. So as I'd said before, July is going to be a bit of a break month here, so I'm not going to have uh, any guests on to really talk at length about people's experience with death, but what I am doing here is talking a bit more about some lighter subjects just so I can be a little more comfortable and kind of take the pedal off the gas, have a little less pressure. So last week we talked about unusual deaths. This week I'm talking about uh, a movie centered around death and the denial of death. And going forward next week, I've got another um, relevant topic that I think people will be interested in hearing about. And uh, as we get back into August, we'll have kind of the program proper coming back up. But as always, if you've got questions or concerns, reach out at Gmail, Twitter, Instagram, however you want to find me. Tell your friends and family. If you've got people who want to talk to me, people who you think would be interesting to talk to, please let me know because I'm all ears. I'd love to talk to more people. But as it stands, I will, uh, I'll shut up and just hop to it. Night of the Living Dead, let's go. What I'd like to do this week is talk about, um, particularly important movie that I think uh, should have been given some more weight when the AFI created their top 100 list of movies of all time because it was a very influential work. Uh, you know, it's had way more impact on culture than I think people would give it credit for, uh, even though there are definitely cult aficionados who appreciate the film. I'm talking about Night of the Living Dead. Now, there's a million movie podcasts out there that can tell you all about people's fractured takes on old movies and kind of giving things the mystery science theater 3000 treatment um not really what i want to do for this i also don't want to do a, a beat by beat recap of the plot really i just want to talk a bit about the movie itself what it means what kind of impact it's had uh and how i understood it as a person seeing it for the first time uh for those who don't know night of the living dead was released in 1968 written and uh written by john russo and george romero directed by george romero starring uh, Dwayne Jones as Ben and Judith O'Day as Barbara. But it was kind of a guerrilla effort, not guerrilla, but a very collaborative effort. Um, it, it wasn't really structured and siloed the way a lot of movies traditionally are. It was essentially an independent movie uh, shot on a shoestring budget with oftentimes just one or two takes to do things. And <laughs> frankly, it shows. Um, it's a black and white tale about 
just a handful of people stuck in an isolated farmhouse fending off ghouls as they swarm uh, the house and how infighting can quickly lead to demise. It's it's a really nihilistic movie. Um, I'm always struck by just the bleakness and the unrelenting oppression of inescapability of the entire atmosphere of the movie whenever I watch it, which tends to be around Halloween, frankly. it's it's I've got a real soft spot for it. It's a really cool old movie. I, I don't know when I was first exposed to it. I could point to a million things in pop culture that I've taken from it and cribbed from it, um, but I do know when I was probably in my early 20s, my now wife, then girlfriend, her family had picked up a bargain bin copy of the movie for like two bucks to kind of laugh at and, um, you know, take shots at as a family, which on one hand does sound fun, but on the other hand, like when everybody got bored with the pacing of a 1968 black and white movie, I was definitely like, oh, I'm going to just take this DVD because nobody else wants to watch it. And this is a good movie. Um, it, it definitely is of its time. You know, there's a lot of melodramatic overacting. Um, some of the choices are pretty bizarre when you consider what we know about emotional impact of severe traumatic events. Um, when you see the character of Barbara dealing with the loss of her brother and how she goes catatonic, you know, there's plenty, plenty of info that you could try to, you know, provide better insight into what she's going through. But there's some unusual choices as far as how she portrays her catatonia. I don't know, man. I when I was uh, when I was a kid, I would go to the video store in town and rent movies all the time and rent video games. And I remember seeing. I specifically remember seeing the video covers for Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead at Celebrity Video, and I remember being horrified at the notion of the dead coming back to life, and what that would have meant like, not philosophically as a kid. Um, So I didn't see the cover for Night of the Living Dead uh, because it was a public domain movie. I'm guessing it wasn't as, like, sought after to have in the store. But um, the idea of the dead coming back to life was just so... It was such an aberration. It was so offensive that it just seemed like this horrible taboo that even just looking at the box, there was, like, an electric buzz of do not look, do not partake. Um, And it really... There just was something so offensive about it, and I guess that comes from reverence of the dead, or as a pretty sheltered child, uh, despite having an older brother who would play a lot of you know Friday the Thirteenth and Nightmare on Elm Street movies. I really uh, <laughs> was innocent, and so the idea of ghouls was really upsetting to me. Uh, it wasn't until man, I, I I honestly don't know the first time I saw it, but after seeing it kind of that initial pass with my in-laws i've actually gone back and i've you know purchased a nice transfer copy of it so there was let me back up for a second due to some kind of error of omission with copyright filing the film has gone into public domain and as such, you can get copies of it pretty much anywhere. Uh, this morning, in fact, I was actually just watching a few minutes of it on YouTube because there happens to be a nice clean transfer of it that's available there as opposed to the one that's on Prime that you can see is like digitally remastered. It just looks terrible. I don't know what that transfer was, um, but 
when when I first picked up a copy of this movie, I definitely sat down and watched it and thought, okay, this is kind of a slow, boring, um, you know, of its time progression of it. But now sitting down again as the years go by, it's kind of a Halloween tradition for me to just watch the kind of the 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 inciting example of zombie uh, zombie lore in cinema fiction. You know that it's all things stem from this. Uh, certainly, The Walking Dead has been massively influenced by this. Uh, the, the comics were set uh, in rural Georgia, and I think that that was clearly drawn from what happened at the farmhouse in the movie. But I, Walking Dead, I just really, I don't know what it was. The show just kind of bounced off of me. I just, it didn't really have any. I don't know. I, I really can't explain why that show just didn't seem to click with me. It, maybe it was that time in my life where um, I just wasn't into it, but it, it, you would think from knowing anything about me that that would just be fish in a barrel, that I would have been gung-ho about it. But I, I watched the first season, watched some of the second season, and I just completely not interested. And I wonder if some of it is that it's, I don't know, in comparison, it feels like The Walking Dead TV show feels a bit more like... Uh, not survivalist porn, but, like, it's definitely kind of wish fulfillment for some gun culture, like, uh, wanting to be the lone survivor, the lone hero, the kind of... Look, I mean, there's no getting around it. I'm going to have to get into some political shit to talk about what I really want to take away from this movie because it's it's insane watching it now and some of the parallels I see of what's going on. So to crawl back out of my own head for a minute... So what this movie is, is first and foremost, the word zombie is never used. That's kind of one of the trivia facts that you always see going around about this movie. They don't say the word zombie, they use the word ghoul. Uh, George Romero and John Russo were looking to set out to make something that was different than the usual horror schlock that was kind of the wave at the time. They'd been doing a lot of commercials and they said, hey, look, let's do, let's make a movie. Let's capitalize on this horror craze that's going around. And they initially wrote this kind of slapstick horror comedy um, that really didn't resemble what they finished up with, but what they did is they went back to the drawing board based on, uh, or, you know, interpreting, or just taking inspiration from I Am Legend, the the novella back in the early part of the century that, all right, so there's the end of the, end of the end of the world, so what does it look like to go back to the beginning? When do the, when do the ghouls really start rising up and taking aim at humanity. This is a movie that looks at just that. This is kind of the inciting moments of uh, people being accosted and not really knowing what's going on, and you get some info kind of in media res or um, diegetic, diegetic information of uh, news reports and TV reports of what's going on. So, like I said, kind of a shoestring budget. It was just minimal overhead. You know, makeup was done on the fly in that it wasn't shot in order, so the makeup kind of progressed as the makeup artist would figure out how to do better versions of living dead makeup. But um, what goes on is basically this brother and sister go into the boondocks in uh, Pennsylvania to put some flowers on their deceased father's grave, and they're attacked by a recently reanimated person, um, and the brother's killed the woman Barbara flees to a farmhouse that she stumbles into and almost immediately lapses into shock and 
basically for the rest of the movie has no agency. It's really problematic from a modern standpoint, looking at it as the uh, a complete failure of the Bechdel test. There's just no, uh, unless there's men around, the women don't have much of anything to do. As this woman, Barbara, is trapped in the farmhouse, uh, Ben, the protagonist, the actual hero of the movie, shows up kind of out of the blue, uh, kind of a reverse deus ex machina. It's a really cool moment where he just blasts up in his truck with the lights blazing. He shows up, no questions asked. He knows what's going on. He knows how to handle these ghouls, what's going on. And Dwayne Jones, the guy playing Ben, is a really charismatic, affable person. Just looking at him on screen, he just really, there's something about him that you just want good things to happen for him. And it's obviously worth noting that in 1968, this was a black and white movie. They were shooting color at this point. You know, color obviously existed, but it was just cheaper to shoot black and white. But George Romero always maintained that Dwayne Jones uh, had just given the best screen test, and that's why he cast him in the lead. But it was not the norm to have an African-American man playing the lead in a movie uh, surrounded by white people. It was still very much a time where there were... um, you know, basically black films and white films and the kind of black exploitation uh, grindhouse movies were still very much in swing. So there was not a lot of overlap conceptually in these two things. So to have a black guy as the very capable, very um, forceful lead, you know, he takes charge. He's clearly in command of the scenario and is um, being accosted by people in the farmhouse who are whiny kind of uh i i struggle to say exactly what the word is but just kind of (laughs) pissy bald white men that just don't like the fact that this guy's taking charge um that is not uh any that's not diminished in any sense between 1968 and today if anything it only feels more relevant which is crazy it's just it's it's a basic tenement of american filmmaking apparently that no matter how capable your leader is if there's some dipshit bald white guy who feels that he can do a better job well he's going to do everything he can to take the gun away and do it himself so it's it's crazy to see that this is uh this is a through line that's stayed prevalent in american culture but as this movie unfolds uh there's a family uh in the basement of the farmhouse they have their daughter who's been bitten and she is in the process of dying in the farmhouse in the basement and there's contention over do they stay on the ground floor where there's a radio and a TV and they can figure out what's happening? Or are they too exposed up there with all of the doors and windows? Should they be hiding in the basement and, you know, staying as isolated as possible? And as always is the uh, the consistent theme with, you know, zombie movies and being trapped in a place. It's not about the zombies outside. It's about infighting and uh, humanity's inability to coordinate, work together, and get along to get anything done. It's just, it always devolves into personal motivation and uh, intent over the greater good and quickly leads to uh, people getting picked off one by one. It's The ending is horrifying. It rings way too true today. Um, honestly, on, please watch this movie. If you're at all curious, you can just find it for free out there in the world. I, it's, I really do believe that this movie should have been included on the AFI Top 100 list of movies of all time. I've been listening to Unspooled with Paul Shear and Amy Nicholson who have been going through the list in kind of a random order and they had talked about horror movies and what had not been included on it and this this I think is the example of what should have been included on there because it was such a shift in pop culture of 
this idea coming out almost fully formed in this first iteration of this movie going on to spawn countless sequels and imitators, and it was done in such a way that it... Yeah, if you're looking at it through sarcastic, uh, cynical vision, yeah, there's a lot to pick apart and a lot to make fun of, but if you just shut up and sit down and watch the movie... It's horrifying. It's violent. It's really visceral. It's, I mean, yeah, the effects can be cornball because they're dated, but seeing people chewing on bones and shit, it's really gnarly. Like, it is violent and upsetting. Um, <laughs> it's, the ending is horrifying. Uh, so I'm going to count to five and talk about the ending here in case you, for some reason, have not ever seen this movie and still want to seek it out, uh, just so you don't feel like I'm ruining the ending for you. So ready? Five, four, three, two, one. Okay, so here's what happens in the end. This uprising of the dead, the dead no longer staying dead, is being combated by an armed militia, which, yeah, also feels relevant for today. Um, bunch of white men with guns working in cooperation with the police and local law enforcement are going around shooting everything in the head. And our protagonist, Ben, spends the night, the sole survivor in the farmhouse, peeks his head out the window and gets shot by the posse, thinking that he's one of the zombies, even though he's holding a rifle and clearly displaying agency. They just shoot him in the head and say, all right, there's another one for the fire. And that's it. You know, there's a, there's a short montage at the end of men going to the farmhouse to clear out the bodies, including Ben's. It's just, it's so nihilistic and so callous in its dismissal of the protagonist's life, very intentionally, to a chilling effect. It's just, it's so upsetting for me to see this today in light of the fact that there have recently landmark legal decisions put out about police culpability and killing of unarmed black men. It's just insane how prescient this feels and how relevant this still is decades later it's it's crazy i i just i can't believe it it's just really upsetting but it's it's an amazing movie and it's an amazing bit of uh george romero and uh, john russo and Dwayne jones all kind of tapping into uh something very deep in the in the in the veins of humanity they really got down to a, a common ground and really touch the source to say, all right, how is this, not out of a grandiosity of like, how can we make the most impactful movie possible, but just that they happen to have stumbled into something that is just really touchstone for American culture. We're reactionary. We are armed. We want the appearance of working with the law enforcement. There's just, it's, it's, it just blows my mind that this is so distilled, uh, Again, I could just I could talk about this movie kind of all day, which is why I wanted to talk about this on the podcast because frankly, it doesn't really come up at cocktail parties like, "Hey, what's your favorite zombie movie?" or like, "What horror movie should be on the AFI Top 100 list?" This is this is a movie that I really feel uh, has more merit than just some black and white rinky dink movie about zombies. Um, what else could I tell you about it? The fact that it was originally screened as a matinee for a bunch of children, which I feel so terrible laughing about, but it's it's. Like I said, it's visceral and violent. There is straight gore in this movie of chewed-up heads with eyeballs still in them. Uh, this was shown at, at, like, the daily matinee for kids, and it just it went from being kind of a fun romp to suddenly, like, oh, nobody's getting out of this alive. This is terrifying. This is heavy. This is gross and disgusting and violent and bloody, and 
the children were traumatized, rightfully so. I mean, this should not have been shown to children. I, I've heard other people talking about it where they show it to their kids at like age six or seven. Like, no, no, this is violent. <laughs> I would not do that. It's even the way they cut around it, the way the protagonist, Ben, uh, attacks some of the first zombies at the farmhouse and uses a tire iron to defend himself and bash their heads in. It's They don't show graphically what he's doing, but it's just so visceral in him swinging his arm and the thud of the tire iron hitting whatever they were using as the effect. It's just the sound editing. I mean, all of this stuff is just, you know, duct tape and clarinet reeds just barely holding together, but they they just make it work in such a minimally produced effective way it's just i'm i'm fascinated by this movie um worth noting that there's no real hard explanation in the movie itself for why people are coming back from the dead it's more so kind of an excuse to just have the dead come back from the dead but it it does kind of tie off of the um Cold War paranoia of the space program and radio radioactive material, radiation, this mysterious new stuff that um, was causing the dead to reanimate. Um, it's it's not really about the why. It's just kind of thrusting you into the, the uh, into the middle of the moment and just saying, "Here you go. There's this terrible thing happening. Deal with it." Later movies, later iterations of the same idea would have different takes on why it's happening, you know, chemical spills or just hell being too full so the dead walk the earth. Um, really, it doesn't matter. It's just the idea of ghouls coming to attack. And I think that's what's so insidiously offensive about it is that it's just a movie about the dead not staying dead. And for something that we don't, as a culture, want to acknowledge, we don't want to talk about death, we don't want to look into this at all, the idea of the dead standing up and saying, I'm not done with you, is horrifying. It's so upsetting. It just it, it flies in the face of human decency. It's the dead coming back to feast on the living. And it, it it's certainly not the first time such a tale has been told, but the way that this is done, I you know, as a somebody who both reveres and <laughs> reviles movies. I mean, I love a bad movie, and I, I love to watch fantastic movies and try to pick your part, like, what is going on and why do I feel the way I do about them, but I don't possess the vocabulary or the uh, the nuance of education on film theory to unpack these kind of things. I just enjoy a good movie, frankly. And to look at this stuff, it's just... There's just so many things for me to dig into and figure out what's going on. I really, I can't say enough good about it, but just know that I think it's very, it's a very upsetting movie. Like I said, when I was a kid, seeing the, the cover art for Dawn of the Dead, that just was something so beyond the pale, something that was just so incredibly, like I said, aberrant. Yeah, it just, it, it just was so over the line. You know, there was no coming back from that um i think a lot of people have seen these kinds of things in pop culture you know the walking dead and various iterations of resident evil or whatever will have you and they think how they'd behave in a certain scenario and i think that a lot of people imagine themselves a bit like uh norman reedus or whatever his name is on you know the walking dead being kind of a 
badass, bow-cast-toting hero, when in reality, I think a lot of us, myself included, would be a little more Barbara, a little more catatonic, and holy shit, what the hell is happening here, kind of uh, feeling of all hope is lost, there's no saving us, Every it comes for us all in the end, uh, sense of despair, and how do you function in the face of the end of the world? So I don't know, man, it's, it's a crazy flick. I would highly, highly, highly recommend seeking it out. Worth noting for um, some of the racial and political undertones that I talked about earlier, Dwayne Jones playing the character of Ben. Ben was just supposed to be a truck driver, pretty uneducated, simple, salt-of-the-earth person. Uh, but Dwayne brought so much to the role that he just, according to jo George Romero, just punched up the script on the fly and just would kind of say, yeah, that's... I know what the idea is here. Here's how I'm going to convey that. And just would add so much of his own flavor to it that it just really... He's as much responsible for that character, I think, as uh, Russo and Romero, that he just really took what was on the page, a very uh, nuts-and-bolts character, and really elevated it into a protagonist and a real commanding character. And certainly, I mean, I say this as a white guy not wanting to step on toes or explain anybody's sense of politics or history to anybody, but knowing that uh, filming had finished and production had finished and they were looking for a distributor... Uh, MLK was shot, and uh, this was at the height of the civil rights crisis in the country. Um, While well, the first one, anyway, or approaching another one here, it was not lost on Romero that he had a bit of lightning in a bottle here. That this is going to be um, talked about after the fact. Uh, it's it's just really there's so much going on in this movie. If you can just get past the trappings of you know one take one shot kind of stuff where you can see like the car in the beginning of the movie um they had damaged the left side of the car during filming and so to kind of cover that up or account for it being on screen like that they kind of casually brush it up against a tree in the hopes of like look it was a car accident but it clearly was just the car was already dented i mean this this movie was shot just i've been in movies that have more production value to this you know this is not uh it's just, it's wild to me that this was, um, that this has gone on to become what it is, and that it's still uh, relevant and terrifying all these years later. So if you find yourself kind of wanting a throwback movie of late 60s, black and white, you know, movie theater, popcorn horror, honestly, cannot recommend this movie enough. I really have nothing but good things to say about it. It's you know, for all of its warts and all of its flaws, it's it's an amazing, uh, what's the word? Not uh, it's raw. You know, it's it's a it's a riveting, uh, gritty, puts you right in the moment scenario. The zombies are slow moving and shuffling, and just kind of a lot of a lot of locals who just showed up to help out and be people in the movie. It's it, if you can let your imagination get the best of you, it can be a real. A real trip, but if not, try watching it through the modern lens of what does it mean for a black actor to be the lead in an all-white film, and how does that affect the the viewing experience you have both today and how it would have been for the theater back in 1968? Because it's it's crazy to see, you know, it's it's just really an impressive movie. So 
take a look. It's out there. It's You can find copies for free on YouTube or in the public library, or if you want, track down a nice copy of the Criterion Collection Edition where they've remastered it and uh, give it the, the treatment that it deserves. But it's really, it's a seminal piece of work, and I can't recommend it enough, especially around Halloween time. So hope all is well with everybody else in the world. As always, thank you for listening. I am forever grateful that anybody would give this the time of day to sit down and listen to me talking about something as simple as Night of the Living Dead on a summer day. So while I am going to be working on another episode for next week, keeping it light and simple, I just wanted to put this out there that people take a look at what I consider to be uh, an underappreciated example of the, uh, the examination of what happens when the dead stop being dead. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.